morning. Before I begin, notice my reading is a little bit shorter than what is written in the message. Because somebody here thinks I might talk too long. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 11 and 13. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes, beginning on page 788 in the Worship Bible. Please stand for the reading of God, God's Word. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was also called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manania, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. The Word of God. Bud has just read for you a little bit of the story of one of my favorite churches in the whole Bible. It's the church at Antioch. And I had him read a shorter version, not because I feared how long he would talk, but I feared how, uh, how much you'd be able to stand in the middle of the heat while, while we're listening to the Scripture reading together. Um, the, the church at Antioch is a fantastic church. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible about the church. We've been talking about the church as the, at the culmination of our two-year trek through the Bible and how Jesus uh, rose from the dead, ascended to the heavens, and sent down His Spirit into His church. And from that day on Pentecost Sunday until today and until the time when Jesus comes again, He has left as His witness on this earth His church empowered by His Spirit. And that church in Antioch is a fantastic example of the kind of church that I hope we can be. Even in this section which Bud just read for you, we see that that was the church which was very innovative. They were innovative. They were the first ones to ever be called Christians there. They had a different, uh, such a unique way of being in their community. They were called Christians, like we speak about church at the chip, right? Or the church that meets there at the Buffalo. We say we're going to go to the church, and we don't realize we're saying we're going to go to a saloon, you know, right? Uh, uh, they were an innovative church. And then we see in this story that Bud read that uh, they, that church was worshiping the Lord, and a prophet came, and he said there's going to be a great famine over the whole earth, now, if you heard a prophet say, there's going to be a great famine over the whole earth, you'd probably say, like many of us would say, we had better stockpile to prepare for the salmon, or the salmon. 
Prepare the salmon for the famine. <laughs> Sorry. That was crazy. But that's not what they did, was it? They said, there's going to be a famine over the whole earth? We better take an offering and send it to our brothers way off in Jerusalem, a thousand miles away from us, because they're going to need food when that famine comes. They were a congregation of people who cared deeply about their brothers and sisters in Christ across the world, make sure they were well fed. And not only that, then it says there were prophets and teachers, and while they were worshiping the Lord again, later on it says that they, they, uh, the, the Holy Spirit said to them, take, uh, take two of your best leaders, Saul and Barnabas. Take the two of your main leaders and send them away to try to plant Antioch-style churches all over the world. And so the very first missionary movement, the very first sending movement happened right there out of the Antioch church. The apostle Paul went out. He didn't go out just of his own accord saying, I want to go do something. He went out with the blessing, the support, and the permission, and the prayer covering of his home church there in Antioch. What a fantastic example of a church. Well, today we have a couple of a a family, a special guest here this morning, and and this is a family that we're going to be supporting as they go off to be involved in a mission not only a thousand miles away, but maybe they'll tell us how far away it is, all the way in Thailand. One of the things that we are doing as a part of our regular uh, church uh, life together is we're making sure that we try to be something of an Antioch-style church. We regularly support the feeding of the hungry here in our community. We, take, we bring uh, food every, every month on the second Sunday of the month, and we share with our local food bank. We send them a cash donation as well. And then on the last Sunday of every month, uh, we go down and literally hand food to people in Jesus' name. You know, wealthy people like to give money. That way they don't have to touch the problem, right? I mean, well, wealthy, don't, don't misunderstand me. That's a good thing to do. But we like to get right in the right with people and say, this is for you in Jesus' name. We don't say it, but we're doing it in Jesus' name. We want to have both of those. I don't mean to (laughs) disparage the giving of money to help uh, poor causes. We need to do that. But in any case, we have the opportunity to serve down there. We take that serious. And also, as a church, we also are involved in helping to plant a church in Downey, California. You remember when DJ and his family came out last fall? We're helping to support that ministry as they start that church there. And one of the things that's been a burden on my heart uh, from the beginning is we didn't have a tangible way of, of, uh, uh, of, uh, of supporting mission around the world in addition to North America. And so when a year ago we discovered that Rob and his family were making plans to go to Thailand, we contacted them and we said, we'd, uh, we'd love to help support you with that. So they're here today. They'll be leaving for Thailand in a few weeks, July or so. So first of all, I'm just going to invite Rob up, okay? Rob's going to come. You might find out that he looks a little bit like someone else in our church uh, whose name is Brian because they are brothers. Good to see you, Rob. Yeah, I want you to go ahead and grab this uh, mic over here, and we'll chat a little bit. I want you to get a chance to meet Rob. Uh, and uh, why don't you have your family? Well, quickly, I'll, I'll have him come. Yeah, that one, yeah, 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 that cord. That's why I'm using this one. Just be careful you don't touch the cord. That's Brian's brother. Who did, oh. It's electrified. Yeah, all right. Okay. Here, one more. 
don't you tell your brother about this problem? I'll talk to him later about that. Yeah. All right, so this is Rob. I'd, I'd like to leave me on, Brian. Come on, what are you doing? <laughs> it's my turn now. I'm looking for a new sound man. Um, uh, Rob, would you just at least uh, well, just get meet all of your families who are here? Okay. And we'll invite you guys up later to do have a prayer for you. But for now, okay. just have, so they can see. Okay, so I'm here, Rob, and I'm here with my wife, Carol. You just raise your hand. And then our oldest son that's going to go with us, John and James, and then Hannah. So this is the crew that's uh, bound for Thailand. At, uh, July 25, five one-way tickets to Thailand. All right, so tell us for in a moment or two what it is, uh, first of all, the group you're going with and what it is that they do in general, and then what you're going to do in particular with regard to okay, that. Okay, sure. Second uh, Timothy 2.2, 2, uh, Paul writes there to Timothy, these things that I have uh, entrusted to you, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And uh, that verse, excuse me, is the, um, the key verse to our ministry, which called it Entrust, is the name of the ministry. And uh, it's an equipping ministry. Uh, the goal is to help equip leaders and pastors of churches, excuse me, so they can better serve uh, their congregation and continue the gospel to spread. And what is it that you'll be doing in Thailand for Entrust? Right. Uh, I've been appointed as the director of the uh, Thailand Training Center uh, that doesn't exist yet. So uh, my job is to basically develop that. Uh, there's been another missionary couple out there, Alan Mary Ginter. They've been there three years now. Their veteran missionaries have been on the field for over 35 years. And they have been making contacts and networking with churches and church groups that we'll be able to serve and, and basically work with. So uh, my job description is basically make all that happen. All right. All right. Good. And what kind of career did you have before doing this? Right. Uh, let's see, my, well, I, I had two careers. Can I tell you both careers? Yeah. The first career was uh, a water well technician. So uh, after they drilled the water wells, I came and uh, put the water well in the well and, uh, and made sure it worked. And so I did that in uh, central Arizona, Camp Verde, Arizona area uh, for two years. And then um, the, uh, the company closed down. Uh, due to some family issues uh, and the owner. But anyhow, then uh, I got into land surveying. So I've been land surveying now for almost 20 years. All right. Very good. Yeah. And uh, when you, where have you been living in the last 20 years or so? Right. Uh, the last 13 years we've been in Texas. So that's when we made it out to Texas, uh, North San Antonio area. And uh, we've been there um, living and doing our stuff. Okay, now I understand that Entrust uh, is, develops training centers there in northern Thailand. And uh, uh, what exactly, are you, are you, I understand you're trying to equip pastors, provide training materials. Um, and uh, if I remember, there's a number of, uh, there's a reason why that's an important strategic place. I think it has to do with some of the countries or the, the fact that people can come in there from closed countries. Is that true? Right, that right, exactly. So uh, we're looking to go to northern Thailand. Chiang Mai is the name of the town. It's the second largest town in in uh, our city in uh, Thailand, and uh, it is located about uh, two hours from the borders of uh, Burma, which is a closed country, uh, about four hours from China, which is a closed country, and two hours from Laos. And so our goal is to help strengthen the churches in those closed countries by sending teams in to help provide training. Okay. 
Okay, good. So if you understand, a lot of times we have these uh, great uh, missional movements that are happening where people are, uh, through laypersons, developing churches, and many, many churches that develop, but there's not a lot of training available for pastors. Pastors will grow up, uh, people will be converted to Christ, they want to go into ministry, and they're sent out to work, but they don't have a lot of training materials uh, in their own language to be well-equipped for the teaching of scriptures and for the leading of the church family. So one of the great things that Anglo ministries can do is not to go in there and to do everything for people, but rather to equip people to do stuff for themselves and to train them. Am I getting... That's it. That's that's it. Yeah. And so this is what they're, but that requires a fair amount of coordination, administration, and just good old, good old business savvy to put together how, because a lot of missionaries are good at the gospel, but they don't know how to run the organization. And so I think I'm, I'm my impression is that in part, you'll be kind of setting this up so that they can effectively do the ministry of serving people uh, in Jesus' name throughout, it sounds like almost four different countries or many people yeah, groups, right? For sure. Yeah. Thailand and then uh, Burma, Laos, uh, and China, as well as India. We've been involved in India, which is just Cross the water. All right, very good. And so they're leaving on July 25th, right? 25th, yes, so, sir. So this is the last chance we'll have a chance to see them, but we'll hear from them every several months or so how things are going. And we're one of a number of churches that are helping and individuals who are helping to support them um, uh, as they go. So uh, how can we pray for you as you kind of begin your ministry over there? Okay. Uh, right. So we're heading over with the whole family. So one of the uh, big... Wait, wait a minute. Whole family... Wait a minute. He introduced three children, but I have a feeling that that's not all. (laughs) That's right. We do have eight children total. Uh, Five of them are, uh, yeah, grown and uh, grown out of the house, so either married or in school or working. And um, so you're going over there with your children. Three children. Three of our youngest children. Yeah. Uh Three of our littles. These are our littles. Uh, The others are our bigs, and they're all out of the house. But uh, you know, I saw John a little while ago. He's not very little. No, no, he's taller than I am, but he's still a little. But uh, so we're looking, the prayer uh, concerns would be uh, just logistically uh, getting settled as a family. Uh, Carol will be working as a uh, teacher's aide at a local international school there in Thailand, in Chiang Mai. And that kind of all came together uh, at the beginning of this year. We weren't even planning on it. And the Lord opened up that door. So the kids all get to go to the international school uh, as where she will be. And um, so just logistically settling in and, and that just being a family there in another country, that's a big thing. And then the other thing on the ministry side is just to start uh, networking and, and coordinating with the pastors and church leaders we've already connected with and, and be able to set up some of the training. And, and basically, we work with the church leaders and the pastors in just different areas that are familiar with what's really needed in the community, and we develop our training materials based on that. So we coordinate with them to basically help develop what they need, and, and so that whole process we need to work through. All right, good, good. Well, I'd like, if we could, to have you and your family just kind of come up here for a moment. We'll say a prayer for you, and uh, don't worry, I'm going to preach too, so I will talk too long probably, but just warning you ahead of time. Um, and uh, uh, just come, I just didn't want to make them stand up here with you. Here's John. John, the mountain climber among them. Right, John? John broke his leg in 14 here, places, John. I think, right? <laughs> right? Did you? You broke your leg? Yeah. Yeah, just a, all right. So, uh, so John, uh, uh, tell, tell me your name, how old you are, and uh, will you be going to school or what? Yeah, so I'm 16, and I'll be going to 11th grade there at the international school. What are you looking for? 
Um, yeah, I'm just excited to just see what opportunities the Lord has for me, um, what doors will open up uh, just for the future. Just really excited to uh, see all that he has in store. John. Well, I'm going to go to Hannah next, okay? Hannah, oh, I'm sorry. I, I forgot your name. What's your name? Hannah. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is Hannah. And how old are you, Hannah? Nine. All right. So what grade would you, were you in? Fourth grade. Fourth grade. Is it going to be exciting to go to a new country? Yeah. Yeah, good. Very excited. All right. Oh, I'm sorry. Your name is Chris. Sorry, James. Sorry, James. All right. And this is, this is James. Okay, so how old are you, James? I'm 12. Seventh. Will you be going to the same school as yes. him or a different one? Or? Yes. Okay, good, good. Will you, what, will you be, what's, that, what's that sport they play in Thailand that uh, high, high? Uh, I guess we'll find out. Well, I'm, you, will you be playing any special sport? Will you play soccer? Do you play soccer or not? There are probably a lot of soccer in Thailand. Yeah, the big score, uh, sports at the school are uh, soccer and volleyball. Oh, which he enjoys both of those. Oh, very good. Well, good, yeah. Well, I lived for a year in Guam when I was 10 or 11 years old. Now, they spoke English where I lived for the most part. Um, but it's a great experience to be in a different culture. A little scary at first, um, but uh, a great experience. I know it'll be a blessing. Okay, Carol, how do you feel about taking the three youngins with you on this trip? And how, what are you looking forward to about this trip? Well, I'm very excited. I was born in Japan to missionary parents and had a great experience there. So I'm just very excited about all the opportunities for our family. And um, this, I'm excited about teaching at the international school. As I just said, I'm a missionary kid, so I'll be working with other missionary kids. And I'm very excited to share what the Lord has helped me through. There's certain um, difficulties that missionary kids face that are different than others. We have all the same struggles, but then a few more. And part of it is feeling like you're not part of any culture. You're not part of your home culture or the country where you're serving. And it's hard to find your place sometimes. But for me, I've found my identity in Christ and the love that he has for me. And I've really come out of a shell. When I was younger, I was very shy and just very timid. And the Lord has helped me to find my identity in him. So I'm very excited to be able to share with other missionary kids and my own just um, the joy of, of living in Christ wherever you are, that you can be at home in the Lord. So I'm excited. And also, I love hospitality. So I'm very excited about meeting people from other cultures and welcoming them. And hospitality is not a place. It's not your home. It's your welcoming spirit in the Lord. And that you can share wherever you are and with whoever you meet, even if it's not in the same language that you know. So I have so many opportunities. I'm so grateful for all the Lord is preparing for us and very excited. All right. and, and who's our special guest we have with us? Oh, yes. Can I, can, can I introduce my mother? She has been in Japan for almost 30 years. She's 93 now and in wonderful spirits, great, rejoicing in the Lord. But she was a missionary in Japan, yeah, like I said, for about 30 years. It's kind of hard to stand. I won't make you stand. Maybe you could just raise your hand and, yeah. and just yeah, wave right. to everyone. Be Betty Duncan, my mother. Yeah. All right, good. Thank you. For, I would, thanks for that. Well, let me, let's say a prayer for these guys as we send them off. Lord Jesus, we want to commit the Roglowski family to you. We thank you for their willingness to serve you even across the sea. And for the tremendous opportunities you will give them to be difference makers for the kingdom of God. And it's our privilege to be a part of what they're doing as well by helping them financially as they do this. So we're sharing in that ministry too. So we pray that you give them safety as they travel. I'm sure there are a myriad and a million more details to take care of here in these next five or six weeks before they go. 
keep their sanity as they make all those preparations, safety as they go. And as they settle into a new home, I pray that you would help them through all the challenges that are related to that. May they feel comfortable where they live, and may the children be able to find uh, uh, friends and opportunities to uh, settle into life there. And we just pray that you would bless their whole family. And they're leaving some very important family members behind, older children and uh, grandchildren as well, and mom and others. I pray that all of them would be kept safe and in good spirits and in good health, and may they be able to rejoice in what, uh, uh, what the family is doing, and may you give them all strength together. Thank you that we are all part of a large family, the family of God, and that we can share this in Jesus' name. We pray your blessing upon them in Jesus' name. May they go in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and find themselves both fruitful and fulfilled in ministry during this next three-year period. I ask this in Jesus' name, and we all said together, Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you guys. Go ahead and have a seat. Appreciate you taking time. I wanted to have them be introduced to you as a part of our message today because what they are doing is a very central part of who we are as a church. You know, one of the common maladies of the North American church is what I tend to call missional myopia. Missional Myopia. It's not really a word, I don't suppose, but I think it makes sense. Missional myopia. You know what myopia is, don't it? It's the medical word for nearsightedness. It means you can see things close to you, but you can't see things farther away. And when we speak about my, my, myopia or myopic tendency, it often, we often expanded it to include such ideas as short-sightedness or, or lack of imagination or of short sight. Or, or, or lack of foresight. And so as it relates to the North American church then, it suggests to me that often individual Christians and whole churches can be very myopic, myopic in the way they sense who they are and what they're about as a church. Today, I'm excited that we as a church are trying to break through missional myopia and see beyond ourselves to the wider cause of God in Christ Jesus. Today, I want to challenge us to to refuse missional myopia and to embrace the missional imagination that we see everywhere in the New Testament and particularly in that church. All right, here I am. So, where were we? This is one of those days, by the way. We have them every so often. Um, the, uh, one of the blessings of meeting at... Uh, at, uh, at a church, at a place not designed to hold church services. We sometimes paid that price. In the same way that as I lost my microphone just a few minutes ago, and therefore you were not able to hear me, and it would be easy for me just to talk as if I'm speaking to the front row, too often churches are li speak, living their ministry as if all, the, all that God cares about is the front row, just right around them. And even, and, or, or as I said, missional myopia, where we don't see beyond our own ministries and our own selves. Today, as I said, I'd like to challenge us to refuse missional myopia and to embrace the missiological imagination that we see everywhere in the New Testament and especially in the Antioch church. So real quickly today, and I know we only have a couple minutes because I wanted this object lesson which I would have saved till the end, but you know how the preacher tends to get run out of time at the end of the service, right? And so I wanted to make sure I gave them the time that they're due. 
Um, what are some of the characteristics of the myopic church, and what are some of the characteristics of the missional church? And North America, as I said, is often somewhat of a myopic church. There are myopic Christians. We think, think of church in this way. Well, what's in it for me or for my family? I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, do I? Why should I have to go to church? All I really care about is Jesus and me. We have our own little relationship. It's just about you and I and about, and about me. And so we, we ask, what's in it for me and my family? Or we think of God as a resource to help us improve our lives. We probably do think of it as God helped me to get to heaven when I die, but beyond that, we're looking for God to help me, help me with my problems, help me be a better person, help me do my thing. And when we look at the Bible in a myopic type of church, we are or individual uh, approach to Christianity, we look at the Bible often as a book of good suggestions, good suggestions. You know, take it or leave it. But they are good suggestions. We tend to be myopic as individual Christians. But it's not just Christians who are myopic. It is also churches which are often myopic. We've talked about this in the past few weeks when we see church more as a monument than a movement. A monument, building some great monument with the classic bees that all of you have enjoyed thinking about of buildings and bodies and bucks, creating this great uh, uh, edifice of structure. That's the church about us. And the church has so many uh, um, uh, needs within itself and for itself. And often then when we think about ministry as a church, we see ministry not as deployment, but as employment, getting people employed in ministries and involved in the church. And when we think about finances in the church, we think of us raising money for our needs in our local ministry area, not the global church. Often, both churches and individuals are guilty of ministry myopia. But that is not the kind of church we see in the New Testament. And it's not the kind of church Jesus died to build. And it's not the kind of church that Jesus' spirit inhabited to proclaim so that we can just take care of our own little needs, develop our own little kingdoms, and do our own little things, whether we're thinking about it as an individual person or family or even a larger church. Even a large church can become myopic in its vision. No. In the New Testament, we see that they were missional in the way that they approach. They, uh, they were, they, and the best example of that is here at this church in Antioch. I wish I had time, but I have talked about this text before and a few years ago um, to, to settle for a while on this church. It's a beautiful church. Here's how it got started. Great persecution that had happened in, in, uh, uh, in Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. Okay, and when the, when that stoning happened, everybody scattered everywhere. It says, except for the apostles, except for the apostles. And so, as we pick up this story, I printed it all, though Bed didn't read it all. It says, now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word to no one except Jews. So the, the preachers were left in Jerusalem, the apostles, the leaders, and the people were scattered. And as they were scattered, you'd think that would destroy their movement. But it was a movement, not a monument. So wherever 
wherever they went, they told about Jesus. But they did it the same way they had always done it, speaking about Jesus only to Jewish people. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. And so the earliest Christians were all Jews or proselytes to, Jude to Judaism. They were all of that, uh, of that ilk. And so they were preaching the gospel in every synagogue as they went. The good news that Jesus was their promised Messiah. Now then, it says, but, verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. This is saying they spoke to the Greeks also. They had the audacity to go and preach the good news, not to God-fearers or to Jewish people, but rather to Greek people there in Antioch. No one told them they could do this, but no one told them they couldn't do it. And they were so excited about their newfound faith in Christ, they just began to tell everybody, and they found that that story wasn't just for Jews only, but for everyone. It's so significant to realize that the, the first great movement of the church did not happen because of preachers, but of lay people. Lay people who, who had instinctively discovered that they had not been employed to serve the, 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 the structure of the church in Jerusalem, but they had been deployed to serve the cause of Christ wherever they went. And so they began to try something new, something that had never been tried before. They might have been the kind of people to show up in a town like Cave Creek and say, maybe there should be a church in that saloon. <laughs> no one told us we couldn't, so maybe we can, although I was a part of a denomination which would not even let you uh, rent facilities from someone who sold liquor. <laughs> so I don't know. There are some who have actually said you can't go there. So they went there, and they, uh, there was a, a lay-driven movement, not a, uh, a, uh, a, 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 a institutional, uh, 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 not an institutional system of local employment. It was a lay-driven movement of deployment. And they had a risk-taking uh, mentality of innovation. They just said, let's try it. Let's go. They got kicked out of Jerusalem, and they thought, there, that'll take care of that. When, in fact, what happened was it just spread like wildfire as these people went off and began to tell the good news about Jesus. It says, they were preaching the Lord Jesus, and the hand of the Lord was on them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So all of a sudden, we have this church made up of rejects, people who aren't supposed to be in the church. They're Greek-speaking people. They're not being asked to become Jews. They're just asked to being asked to follow Jesus, and they believed in Jesus. And so finally, the word trickles down to, uh, down to Jerusalem, and it says in the uh, uh, in the 22nd verse, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. So they're hearing words. It's like the words going, have you heard of what's going on up in, in Antioch? And they weren't even called Christians yet, but he said, the ecclesia up there. They're telling everybody, and they're not making them become Jews to do it. So the leadership is saying, I don't know about this. So they sent Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. His given name was Joseph, but they called him a son of, and it's a good thing they sent Barnabas up there because Barnabas was a guy who found the good in everywhere he looked. 
Peter might have been the guy who found the bad wherever he was going to look. But Barnabas found the good wherever he looked. So Barnabas treks all the way up north to uh, Antioch. And it says, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He probably saw a lot that kind of seemed weird to him, too. He probably saw a lot of things he wasn't accustomed to. He probably saw people eating things they shouldn't eat, doing things that good Jews shouldn't do, doing stuff that he had never been uh, uh, used to seeing done in the name of God, but he also saw the grace of God, and he was glad. A missional church sees the grace of God. He doesn't just see the mess that the grace tries to clean up. Some of us are messy-oriented, right? We just see the problem. They don't have exactly all the right theology. Do they teach this, that? They didn't vote this way. I'm not going to hang out with them, right? But in fact, a missional church sees evidence of the grace of God and is glad, is glad. One of the things that I enjoy when I get a chance to... Um, talk with people who visited our church. I hope this is your experience. If not, I apologize. But people have come into this place, and they found that despite the heat or despite the environment, they see evidence of the grace of God here, and they're glad. Oh, I love it when I hear, when I hear that. He saw evidence of the grace of God, and he was glad, and he exhorted them to remain faithful uh, where was I? To remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas is there, and I can't take time to talk about it, but he decides to go look for Saul, who's often hiding over there in Tarsus, not hiding, but he's been out of the picture for a long time. And basically, I think he says, Saul, the kind of church you dreamed about. It's happening there in Antioch where Gentiles are coming to faith in Christ. Come see. So Paul comes and Saul, who became Paul, uh, comes there and he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people. They taught a great many people. So these people who had love for Jesus still needed to be trained in the truths of Jesus. They didn't know the first thing about what it meant to really be followers of Jesus and about the whole Bible story because Jesus wasn't born in a vacuum. He was born at the long history of God's great drama of redemption when God's beautiful but broken creation required God to rescue it, first of all through Abraham, then through Moses and the law, ultimately until their exile, until finally the final faithful Israelite Jesus comes to be born in the manger that day and takes upon himself all the curses of the law so he can give to us its blessings and establish his new covenant with them. The, the apostle Paul and Barnabas began to teach them about that, give them roots for their faith. And a missional church works hard to give people roots for their faith. It teaches them about the Word of God. So they're there, and in Antioch it says the disciples were first called Christians. You are called a Christian today because of a church that met at a crazy place in Antioch. Probably met in a saloon, had a bunch of irreligious people going to it. And Christian was not meant to be a complimentary term. Christians. Christians. 
Messiah, Messiah followers. These people following their own messiahs. It was not meant to be a positive term at all, but of course was adopted later. Now in those days, apostles, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Even though Jerusalem is south of Antioch, whenever you leave Jerusalem, you're going down. So they always say up to Jerusalem, down to, down to, down to somewhere else. To Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place during the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and and Saul. I've commented on that already, but just a quick note about that, that when they heard about the famine, and they were going to be affected too. They must have thought, we have resources to deal with our needs, but our brothers and sisters, our parent, our mother church in Jerusalem, they may not. Let's send to them a gift, which is exactly what they did. And a missional church cares about the physical as well as the spiritual needs, not just of themselves, but everyone that is around them. And so, we skip a chapter because there's a little bit of a historical interlude that's going on when, when Luke picks up the, chapter, uh, the story in verse chapter 13. Speaking again about the church at Antioch, he says, Now there were prophets and evangelists and teachers and Simon and uh, Barnabas. No, that means Barnabas was, they, these are listed in order of priority, right? They always would do that. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called the black man. Yes, he was probably a black man. Lucius of Cyrene, which is a primarily black country. Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, a man of high wealth and influence, a member of the, uh, the, the court of Herod. And then finally, Saul. And they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, verse 2. And the Holy Spirit says, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on, him, on them and sent them off. And thus began the very first, what we now call, missionary movement. Intentional. And it happened unintentionally because lay people just felt they needed to do it. But now the church is recognizing we need to formally recognize those who are being sent off and we're going to send out our most important leader who at that time was Barnabas and that guy he brought along with him, Saul, who's really smart but kind of hard to get along with. We'll send him off. And they went out and they planted Antioch-style churches all across Turkey and all the uh, and Greece and into ultra into Italy, and the whole gospel movement began to grow because these were a missional church. You know, as our church from the very beginning has decided that we wanted to care about more than just ourselves. So we have from the very beginning been involved in serving the hungry and the poor and helping to plant another, another church in Downey, California, and then also helping to send someone to Thailand. Makes me proud to know that. Uh, Bud read earlier, he kind of teased me, but he really made my day a couple of days ago on Thursday when we were meeting together, and he and Jimmy and I were talking about 1 Corinthians 12, about the church being the body of Christ, and the hand and the foot and all the different parts. And he said, I'm not quoting you, Bud, but you remember where I was talking about this, but uh, he said, you know, I used to think it was kind of a, a good thing, a nice thing for us to help start another church and help serve people and to maybe uh, things that we're doing. I used to think it was kind of a good thing to do. But after thinking about 
the church as the body and what we're about. It seems to me that's our job. It's our job to see that the gospel spreads as far as it can, that we take the resources, human and financial and prayer resources, that we, and we spread them all gracefully as we also have been received. But yes, it's true that doing these kinds of things is not just sort of a nice thing to do if you can get around to it, but it's really the job of the church to be a body because a body is not an individual Christian. It's not even just an individual church. It's the whole representative of Jesus Christ on this earth. And so we as a part of that body are able to help Thailand and Burmese and, uh, and Laotian Christians be better equipped to reach their generation for Christ so that Jesus will be magnified in a way he's not yet been magnified, and they will never know that we're doing it. But that's what a body does. It just serves. So thank you for being that kind of church. And we do it because this is what Jesus did for us. He came and indiscriminately poured out his body and his blood for us on that tree and said, Father, forgive them. Death was not the end, though. He was raised from the dead and will come again and will gather all of his kingdom together in God's new heavens and new earth. And you and I have an opportunity to be a part of that. Are you glad? Our church, as we meet, we have a great time together. But aren't you glad to know that we have a bigger purpose than just meeting our own needs on a Sunday morning? I'm thankful to be a part of this church family, and I hope that you are too. Let's have prayer as we close. Lord Jesus, you're so good to us. We see myopia in our lives and in our churches so quickly. It's so easy to become merely self-focused about me and my family and my needs, us and our church and our needs. But a body, the body of Christ is worldwide. And we're grateful to be a part of it. We pray that you would bless Rob and his family as they go. And that you would give us the opportunity as we continue to serve you. To be able to continue to bless others. And thank you for the blessing that we ourselves have received. For we are the family of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Blood is flowing through our veins. We're sisters and brothers, daughters and sons. You are my father, though I do not know your name. And you are my sister, though we speak a different language and do not even look the same. There is in us a unity which cannot be destroyed. In Christ we have become a family. We are a family for Christ has us one. His blood is flowing through our veins. We're sisters and brothers.
fathers and mothers, daughters and sons.